called wise reflection is considered uh, necessary for development of wisdom. Wisdom is necessary for liberation of the mind to reveal and um, challenge assumptions, attitudes that often keep these dispositions, these tendencies, um, these habits, and sustain them. Mm-hmm. So with samadhi, with samatha, you begin to steady things and get some qualities of, of ease and unification of mind. And then with uh, vipassana, development of wisdom, you look into that and you begin to understand the views and attitudes that cause rise to these um, you know, disturbing tendencies. So this is, so you, you learn how to think, which may assume you don't have any problem with knowing how to think, so you stop it. Is more the issue, but actually, um, people don't necessarily know the fullness of thinking, which is a twofold aspect. One is to place a topic in mind, and the other is to get a feeling for what it's about, take it into the heart. And when thinking is very fast, it doesn't don't take the time to take it into the heart. And often we don't necessarily place our thinking in line with or in ways that support liberation. Well, our thinking is how to do stuff, how to get things going, how to get, how to do things, what we should do, could do, will do, how we'll work things out in the future or whatever, other people. But really this kind of thinking is about how do we liberate being rather than doing? And doing is part of that, but the understanding is the primary, uh, what we're looking at is not, is liberating the chitta, which is about being. And chitta is often overwhelmed with all these possibilities of doing. Well, remember, all doing is guesswork. Uh, and guesswork is coming back to getting a real sense of one's motivation and potentials, which is much more, hmm, how is that? Well, where am I going? What's this about? What's useful? This requires pondering or evaluating. And these two processes, one, Vitaka, bringing up a, a thought, well, bringing up a concept, bringing up a notion, and then evaluation, vichara. How does this feel? Where's this going? What's the meaning of this? And what's the feeling of it? And the feeling of it will begin to make one aware of the roughness, the busyness, the smoothness, the attitudes in that, whether it's carrying qualities of 
uh, agitation or stress or hostility or bitterness or loving kindness, it will reveal those qualities. It will also reveal um, the attitudes that, that support these uh, um, the direction of thought. We begin to reveal the um, feeling of the thought, you could say, say that it's, um, you begin to notice whether it's affected by ill will, goodwill, uh, fear, confidence, uh, and so forth. And then if that you, hmm, what can be changed here? It may be just in that alone. One notices, oh well, you know, why keep this unskillful, unhelpful, rough, painful, distressing quality going? Why not just drop that? Yeah. And you can drop that coming into our body breathing out, feeling the constrictedness or the agitation of it, and finding a place in the body where that breathing out, that just causes it to soothe and soften. It may, of course, be the case that that doesn't work. Um, Some things are so embedded, or we can't find the body, bodily access, to do that, and therefore we ponder the meaning. The ill will. He hurt me. She hurt me. He disappointed me. I am no use. I'm of no value. Uh, overall, towards oneself. Other people don't like me. Uh, I'm not good enough. You're, this is ill will towards oneself. Yeah, or, you know, he's a nuisance. He's a waste of time your will towards others. Not belittling seeing people or oneself as an object. Object, if we get ourselves in the crosshairs, you could say. We form an image of ourselves being regarded by others or being regarded by our own attitudes. It's not coming up to what it should be or could be. This is And we do the same thing with other people. Or we pick on some particular feature that is not uh, uh, agreeable and we make that the total um, story of what they are. So in this way we create objects, perceptions that are steeped in ill will, moulded by ill will. So if we begin to recognize this, or we create topics that are molded by agitation, <clears throat> doubt. We create ourselves in this way. Am I this or am I that? What could I be? What should I be? Am I this or am I that? Am I enough of this or too much of that? In the same way we're creating ourselves as an object, or we create others as objects. Will she be this way or that way? And so on. So, 
and then we really need to you know, challenge that because once you create the object, the object justifies the way in which we're regarding it. He did this and did that, therefore he is an unpleasant person, I dislike him. Clear, why, how could you possibly not dislike him? <laughs> because he does this and that and the other. So, then with wise reflection, one begins to recognize this quality of ill will is uncomfortable for myself. It's making my heart sour and bitter. This is no gain for me. This is a great loss. Whereas I could feel, I, you know, a sense of uh, warmth, ease. That's much better. Why do I keep creating this object? Yeah. I mean, not wise, perhaps, you know, beginning question, but to begin to recognize anything you create as an object will be molded by the attitudes that you have that are there at the present moment. So this is called codependency. The object depends upon the nature of the subject. The object depends upon the energies and attitudes that are subjectively generated. And if we can have this sense of creating ourselves as an object dependent on subjective tendencies of ill will or conceit or various things. So behind that is a certain uh, expectation. that one should be a certain way, or trying to create oneself as an agreeable object. Mm-hmm. Or no, not measuring up to the agreeable object that one would like to be. The satisfactory, stable, constantly okay, to everyone, to myself, at all times. That's what I'd like to be. This is where the merciful teaching is that there isn't an agreeable object. So this may sound hard to bear. <coughs> there are only phenomena that have a stressful nature. So even if one generates oneself or others as a pleasant, agreeable object, is the sense of, I want to make sure it stays like this. I want to make sure it stays like this. Stress. Yeah. What if it wanes? You know, I have been competent in intelligence. What if I lose it? I have been successful or attractive. What if I lose it? I have been liked by others. What if I, if I do something wrong, they might not like it. So, you know, this the, the, the agreeable object itself is subject to stress. Oneself or others. In some ways the kindest uh, uh, reflection is to recognize, look, look, You've seen your, your mind 
so long, let's get real about it. It's not that good, is it? (laughs) Not every mood is a winner. What do you do about that? And instead of generating these, you know, expecting these objects, one's mind, one's body, one's emotions to be constantly satisfying and comfortable, you say, well, why don't I just become more compassionate? And maybe that would be more helpful. And, And placing less stress on it, less high standards, less fantasy of what it could or should be. In fact, get less, even less clear about it. Because when we try to create an object, we pick on one or two features and firm them up as something that is a total picture of what I am. Right? And sometimes you can get, people can get very, very detailed and write essays in the mind about what they are with all these statistical details, historical facts, uh, biological, blood type, health condition, everything, history, parenting, childhood, extremely competent essay on why I'm a failure, no good, or inadequate, and the reasons for it, and the impenetrable doom of it all, this will never change fatally flawed this is why I can't meditate so in that lock our mind is hypnotized by that and then we, we lose the qualities of faith energy and so on so it's, um, and then if you're trying to create yourself as a pleasant object you find there's a little flaw somewhere it doesn't quite work and the whole thing can unravel. It's a similar thing with, with doubt. We think we've nearly got exactly the right plan and strategy, nearly got most of the details worked out. It took me the last two hours of meditation to do all that thinking, <laughs> to work it out in exactly the right detail. There's just one or two missing pieces that I'm going to waste the rest of my retreat in planning on. <laughs> so it's not quite there yet, but it will do. <laughs> and so does this ever, and then, you know, oh, bell rings. And, well, the only thing to do right now is to learn how to use your legs to get up and walk to the dining hall. Does that require planning? Yeah, yeah, but in the real world, you know, and so forth. So then you reflect upon it. Has it ever been the case that exactly what you plan in detail has ever happened? Nothing coincidental ever occurred. Everything went exactly the way that your mind planned it. And in fact, we're rather blessed sometimes that it didn't, because 
miracles started happening, coincidences, lucky throws, uh, odd things started happening that actually were rather beneficial. And we were open. And life was a little more mysterious and flowing rather than some being some rigid machine pre preset. We start to review some of the planning uh, assumptions that there could be a knowable future and one could work it out now. Instead, his understanding of Dhamma, what one is, what one could be or should be, what the future holds for us, is called Kamma, action, subject to action. If one broods and ponders with a mind contaminated with worry and doubt, then this is exactly what you will create. A world in the self contaminated with worry and doubt. If your mind is affected by hostility, prickliness, grumpiness, irritability, as it does get, as it is, then you will create yourself, the world and other people who carry those qualities. This is not to say that there are not features in our experience that are not, uh, not, have no potency to generate discontent, pain, suffering, ill will, uncertainty. They're there. The question is how much do you carry of that in your heart? And the understanding is, look, realistically, on this level, in this world, it is not possible that conditions will be satisfactory, comfortable, easeful, knowable. It's just not possible. Otherwise, you've done it by now. It have happened by now. It is just not doable. But what is doable is the liberation of the chitta. This, perhaps, is the only thing you can do. The rest of it, you just get 60, 70, 80% for a while, 10%, 90%, good for a while, and it's changing. Liberation is the only thing you can do. It gives you 100% results. And what would that be? It says in one of the suttas, while living in the world, one is not affected by worldliness. This worldliness is this perpetuation of our mind into the future, into the past, into self, and into others, whereby these become objects in our mind that uh, need constant propping, defending, tidying, and so forth. It just goes on and on and on. If it would work, it would have worked. So worldliness is not necessarily obsessive 
greediness, but just the called, called proliferation of pancha, energy going into generating this thing in our minds as we sit here, as we walk around, as we have our breakfast and so on. This powerful drive that has to be checked. Uh, even ones that are agreeable fantasies, which many are agreeable fantasies. Where is that? Now, clearly, when you, consi- when you consider it, you can't be any object of your mind, because that will only ever be half or less, you know, of the of picture, isn't it? Because the object in your mind is being created by your mind, isn't it? So, the object can only ever be the best half of the totality of your being. Half of it is going to be that which is generating that, isn't it? You can't be an object, you can see an object, you can think an object, you can touch an object, you can't be one. Your experience is of an activity that's generating objects. Your experience is of an activity that generates an image of myself, of her and him, and future and past. Your, your experience. So, in Jitta, we come into the totality of our experience, not obsessing with the objects it creates. This is not to deny that the object creation is of any not, it's not of any use, but it is just, that's that. And if we don't get to what is creating them, then this is called lost in the, lost in the world, creating the world and getting lost in it. Not conducive to liberation. In fact, if we begin to focus more consciously and clearly on the sub- subjective qualities there's a possibility to calm, release, adjust, let go of our world. This is possible to a greater and lesser degree. But to do this we have to keep tackling the assumptions that we could create satisfactory world. Now don't misinterpret that, it doesn't mean that right action isn't helpful and necessary, but right action is essentially focusing on the qualities of good effort, good intention, skillful speech, just as they are, bringing them out. So it's very much flow-oriented rather than goal-oriented. Now, then I want to arrive there. The sense is, well, if you travel this way, then you will arrive at the direction that's determined by how you're traveling. If you're traveling on the goodwill express, you're going to arrive at a place of goodwill. 
traveling on the, you know, restlessness and doubt, you know, express that's where you're going to go to. Pretty straightforward, isn't it, in many ways. You get exactly what you wish for. How wonderful. Why do you wish for so much suffering? Because, you know, it's a, it's a kind of playful question, really, because our minds are not our own. They're, they're captured by these worldly drives that are, you know, we get educated into. Education is indoctrination. You get indoctrinated a thousand times a day into these attitudes and in fact it becomes very difficult to live outside of those and become structured in so when we you know talk about going forth then really this is sort of something you do on a retreat not just uh, becoming a, a monk or a nun though that's a possibility but tell you the world doesn't end there <laughs> Really, a room to generate self and others in that one. So, but maybe, maybe there's a little more leverage on that. It's less structured in. But still, we have to work with that structuring and say, okay, for this this time, real opportunity to just lift from all that, to at least review to at least understand this process, to at least gain authority over one's being, rather than being caught in worldly cards. So this is, this is a certain, you know, urgency to do that. Because calm is accumulative. The more that one that the mind follows those habits, generating habits, the deeper they get in, in, ingrained. Mm. What habit is, we get addicted. Mm. So there's a certain urgency to, to acknowledge those habits. So whatever object is creating, created, well, in a way, that's okay. At least you're getting some perspective on the nature of the object you step back and ponder it it's giving you a pretty clear readout on what your mind is doing mm-hmm. it's irritating or craving or lustful or worrying what it's doing so at least we're getting something understanding of the karma we're creating. That's karma, it's mental action. Is it possible to, just in that, to sense, oh, this is painful, it's not worthy of me, it's uh, not going very useful. Is it possible to acknowledge that? Relax, stop, pause. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is just so 
ingrained that one's mind runs down it. And at least one begins to consider, well, okay, at least I'm not going to act upon it in terms of speech and action, physical action. That will have an effect. It will begin to, you know, put a, a bar against it. And through this, by at least stemming that, I'm beginning to weaken the power of this karma. This is actually a merciful teaching. What we can't do in a meditation alone, we see what we can do in terms of curtailing actions, body, uh, body and speech, that support. And in that, in that going against the grain, it's possible again for insights to arise for moments of having resisted it, having used resolution to, to withstand that. The tide can drop. And sometimes it's just that, just like that. Mind is out of control swept away, then we just patiently bear with and refuse from acting upon it in terms of speech or body. Then you find, where does that occur? Where is the resistance to it? Where in your body do you feel a steadying effect or relinquishment of the intensities of Sadness or negativity, you find that in your body. Can you see something that resists that? Something that checks that? So this is all, you know, the process of reflection and turning things over. What will I become if I follow this? Who is it who's thinking like this? Can you get a picture of her? A feeling for her or him? A sense of compassion for her or him? Something you can get in the mind's eye, say, a soured or twisted or frantic being, and rather than think this is my myself, this is like a trapped being won't experience some compassion for it. These are the kinds of contemplative exercises that one can cultivate. Then you can reflect. Conversely, I have been offered goodwill. I have been, for a minute, for five minutes, frequently in my life, I've been offered goodwill. I've been offered generosity. I've been offered you know, support. Oh, how is that? Who who is that? How do you how does that one feel? I have refrained from killing or stealing or lying or sexual misconduct. How did that feel? Who is that one? So we can pick a thought 
topic like that is Vitaka, it's more like a, just a topic, and then ponder, how does it feel? How is that? What is the meaning of that? Is it the case that some qualities that you bring to mind cause a kind of stopping of the current? Some topics that you bring to mind, if you ponder them, cause a cooling and easing. Some topics that you bring to mind cause a quality of forgiving and compassion. So this process of thinking, in many respects, is to be cultivated. When a quality that is, is cooling or is comforting or is steadying or is easing becomes something, oh, that does that. Then you do it again. Then you do it again. Then you do it again. And you keep checking the runaway mind. Keep checking. And what happens if you put this in it? And again. Again, reflecting again and again. Mm. Then you can, many reflections, I am the nature to die, could happen tonight. Where is the future then? You put that one in, it blocks, at least temporarily. Mm. Temporarily. Oh, next life I can pick up that plan again and start again. No, no, wrong answer. <laughs> and there's a moment we experience a sense of vulnerability and hopelessness and got no security. No agitation. Just you're all, now your mind is here. It's not left you. Your awareness has not left you. That is your refuge. Your being has not left you. The wave of agitation or fear, uncertainty moved through, you're aware of that. Awareness has not left you. It doesn't leave you. That's your security. That's your guide. And then, well, if I do die tonight, I'd like to linger in gratitude or contentment or forgiveness, or clarity. You know, I'd like to linger in that. Mm. So we, through this process, certain supportive uh, qualities come to come into awareness. And then, as we linger in those, stay in those, feel those out, sample those, let them be held constantly, steadily, against the flows, the outflows, the currents of suffering and stress, then the turning of the tide can occur. She's called one who enters the stream, the Dhamma, knows that the tides can turn, has felt the tides turn, 
experience themselves as not themselves. It's just something they have to work with. Someone who has cultivated that begun to deepen into a very uh, positive stream of practice. Flow, we begin to sense the flow. Return time and time again, time and time again. The positive sign or the sign of release or the sign of comfort or the sign of ground or the sign of, you know, whatever you want to call it. Where the tides drop, where the suffering abates, where the intensities release. That becomes one's meditation object. Dwell in it, breathe in it. Feel what your breathing is like when that occurs. The sense of the space around and through your body, the energy levels when that occurs. The, the qualities of materiality, the energy bodies, what occurs when that occurs. And this way you, you deepen and add the dimension to that. You build it up, you invest it, make investment of that. Then that becomes like a, a more solid refuge and um, um, bar to the tide of suffering and stress. This is called careful thinking, skillful thinking to be cultivated for wisdom and release.